Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler has a new plan when it comes to addressing large homeless encampments, and it sure sounds much like the city's old plan, sweep the people out and remove all the tents and belongings. In many ways, it's a return to an old policy. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, my colleague Nicole Hayden, who covers homelessness for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. We talked about why the mayor believes these sweeps are necessary and a good policy move, where people are ending up, what advocates have to say about the policy, and the potential ripple effects from the plan that started in earnest in Old Town Chinatown last month. A quick note, you'll hear some construction noise in the background behind Nicole, starting about 10 minutes into our conversation. We've been doing this podcast remotely since March 2020, and sometimes things just happen out of our control. We always try our best. Here's our conversation. Nicole Hayden, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So you're always busy on your beat. And uh, in recent days, Mayor Wheeler uh, made a big announcement for a new strategy going citywide that's built on kind of a controversial one that was executed in Old Town a little more than a month ago. So remind us what happened in Old Town and and why is this going citywide? In Old Town, the city uh, came in and removed tents, like hundreds of tents, displacing hundreds of people, mostly at pressure from the local community and business association because folks were saying it was impacting their businesses, making it unsafe for folks to live there. So uh, the city came, kind of forced everyone to move to other neighborhoods, uh, threw away all of their stuff. And of the, I think, maybe 160 folks who were forced to move Less than 20 got shelter beds, but the city didn't track to find out if those folks were connected to mental health services or housing or long-term shelter prior to moving. Mm -hmm. And But the mayor has decided this is a successful strategy in his view, despite not knowing where people ended up uh, because the streets are clean and businesses are happy. So... The city plans to do more mass sweeps um, throughout the city in the future. I'm just curious how we got to this point, Nicole, because it seems like mass sweeps have been a polarizing issue dating back years. And you've done so much reporting on Laurelhurst Park and, and sweeps there. But, you know, it's happened on the Springwater Corridor. People have been displaced, you know, pick a year. It's been a polarizing thing. And, and here we are again. Yeah, it kind of feels like we're going backwards in our policy. In 2017 or 18, uh, when there was the Martin v. Boise decision, it said all Western states couldn't force people to move off of public land if they didn't have any place to go without offering them an equal or better opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so since the city offers a shelter bed, that kind of fulfills uh, that requirement. But we know from our reporting that 95% of people who are swept say they never come in contact with an outreach worker prior to being swept. So they're never offered a shelter bed. And if they are a shelter bed is typically not something people want because you're sleeping inches from strangers and you don't feel safe. And yeah, after Laurelhurst Spring Water Corridor, we have learned that you can't just drop in a couple days or even a few weeks before a sweep and expect to 
make substantial impact in people's lives. You need to take months or years to build up trust before maybe someone will accept services um, because they've just been traumatized by uh, what they've been through. Yeah. And you, we've talked about this several times, but you had this survey where you teamed up with Street Roots and surveyed what it was 300 uh, people who were living outdoors in in Portland. Mm -hmm. Um, Given kind of your takeaways from that, what do you think the ramifications are of this policy going citywide? Yeah, we know that um, more than 60% of the homeless population that has some sort of mental health illness. And when you're living on the street, things like extreme exhaustion can um, make those symptoms worse, but also other traumatic events like a sweep being forced to move um, out from where you're living, where you might feel safe, that can be a trigger for some mental health illnesses. It can cause psychosis. It also just makes people lose trust with officials and folks who are trying to help and Yeah, we know that the worse the symptoms get and they progress as the years go on, it's harder to house those folks. And those are, you know, our most vulnerable individuals with the least access to resources. So uh, definitely there's a ripple effect when you're talking about sweeps. For your story about kind of the formal announcement from the mayor uh, talking about this policy, you talked to leaders at uh, Blanchet House down in Old Town, which is a mm-hmm. uh, community institution. Um, what did they tell you about just kind of how people are doing right now? Because it's not just, you know, it's obviously the pandemic. It's been an exceedingly difficult year for everyone, but for most vulnerable people, especially. Um, can you talk about what you heard from from them because I thought that was pretty uh, salient reporting. They serve meals three times a day. So, and it's a no barriers meal service. Folks can come in and sit down. Mm-hmm. So they really get um, an on the ground view of like who's homeless in Old Town and what they're dealing with. And they said um, the sweeps definitely add to the trauma that there are folks with just severe mental health issues that really need more support than anything that's being offered prior to sweeps. And um, I was actually at Blanche House this morning during their breakfast meal service to kind of see the population that they're working with and help out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of folks showed up that I frequently interact with on the street. And when I see them, they have their guard up, they're high anxiety, um, they're stressed out. You can just see that they're tense, but uh, watching folks come in one by one this morning, they were clearly more relaxed. Their guard was down. They felt safe. Some people just like put their head down on the table and slept the whole hour because it was the first time they felt safe sleeping in the past 12 hours. So when you provide something safe and supportive and let people feel accepted, it completely changes their demeanor and um it can really go a long way. And that's like a, the polar opposite of, you know, what sweeps do. And to, to put a finer point on it, their um, Blanche House wasn't doing in, inside indoor dining for due to, due to the pandemic, right? So people right. are feeling more comfortable now. So mm-hmm. maybe it's a good time to pivot to some of these um, city policies that are designed to be safe places for people to go. Um, mm-hmm. Commissioner Dan Ryan had been leading this effort by the time people hear this, the first village is supposed to be open, right? Um, 
where is it? And and sorry, you can hear the construction. We're talking in a in a city, <laughs> and so that's just part of the situation. But um, where is this first village? And um, can you describe this? What it looks like and what what's there? This village is along Multnomah Boulevard, and you know when you go to it, it's you can't really tell that it backs up to a neighborhood because there's a thick surrounding of trees that separate it from the uh the houses behind it so it feels pretty um secluded it also on the same area there's a portland bureau of transportation like staging area so there's tons of big construction trucks coming in and out so um it is a bit loud and uh probably yeah. it will disturb folks who are trying to sleep once they move in there you have these tiny homes that lock and you have like twin size mattresses that are pretty thick in them and so it gives a more sense of dignity than going to a mass shelter mm. yeah it does give a sense of community to how they're set up it feels like a just real a real tiny neighborhood there are some things that you know, of course, could be better. They don't have ovens or stoves. Uh, they have a shared kitchenette that has four microwaves and two fridges. So um, I think this shelter maybe can house up to 60 folks. So, you know, if you think of 60 people sharing two refrigerators and four microwaves. Yeah. You aren't really able to do like money saving uh, strategies for healthy food, like uh, cook in bulk freeze it so these folks will probably be eating pretty expensive unhealthy microwave meals but that's a small thing compared to you know where they're coming from on the street and having like a safe place to be is definitely what people have been asking for yeah so this has been a long time coming to get to the the opening of a of the first uh location remind us why it took so long yeah it it took so long because, honestly, I think the folks proposing it just didn't realize how long it would take to plan and construct these villages. We were hoping they would open last year, um, and it's about a more than a year delay, uh, but it's trying to find suitable places uh, to put the villages where people have Easy access to transportation, um, can walk or take the bus to grocery stores, you know, have amenities that they can access without cars. And in some instances, neighborhoods just did not want these villages in uh, their community. So uh, it was hard for the city to find places where people were willing to um, accept these folks as neighbors. So going back to, you know, the city doesn't track where the people who are, who are living in Old Town, Chinatown, who are displaced uh, in May, where they went. But um, do we so we, do we have any idea or have you had any inklings um, or heard anything about where people ended up? So folks started moving uh, to the downtown corridor and the Pearl District since they were told they have to at least move a few blocks away. But the city has already come in and started sweeping those folks, even though they've just been there a couple of weeks or a few days. Um, there was just a sweep in the Pearl District yesterday I saw. And so essentially people just are shuffling around in the downtown area. Uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll talk more with Nicole Hayden, who covers homelessness for the Oregonian and Oregon Life. 
So we are back with Nicole Hayden, who covers homelessness for the Oregonian and Oregon Live and uh, lives, you know, in inner northwest Portland. So we've got some of the sounds of the city in the background. And and that's just part of doing a podcast when we're not in the newsroom. It's pretty loud in the newsroom sometimes, too, with construction. But anyways, forgive us. So I'm curious, Nicole, are there any success stories that you can point to from your reporting in Portland, places where we're getting it right? One thing. I really enjoy reporting on right now is Portland Street Response, um, which sends mental health uh, workers instead of police to uh, folks in mental health crisis on the street. And they recently expanded from their kind of test area in the Lentz neighborhood to citywide a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Now they, I know that the expansion has been slower than they hoped um, because they've been having a hard time hiring to fill those um, new teams in the past couple months. But it has been a success. People who interact with them uh, say they have felt like they were treated with compassion, that they were believed, that they felt they could trust the person they were talking to, and that uh, they really sat down with them and not only addressed what they were dealing with in that moment, but taught them like coping skills or mental health skills to help them get through maybe some minor psychosis episodes in the future. Um, And they also have uh, a more long-term team that can connect with people and help them access other resources in the community. So it's not necessarily just an emergency response, but they're able to um, stay with folks longer term if needed. As a citizen, you know, people want quick, quick solutions to these intractable social problems that are much more complicated and larger than just Portland, right? So it's it's something that we're in the thick of things seeing uh, this roll out. But I know we've talked about this few times, but it could be a while until maybe there's some more visible evidence of the program being a success. Yeah, uh, I think. One thing that folks are a bit impatient with is the rollout of how we're using the homeless tax funds. Um, We want to see more programs rolling out, but uh, yeah, there was a delay in collecting funds and that's just a natural part of a new tax. And hopefully this new fiscal year is when we're actually going to see the first real true bulk of money coming in. So, um, yeah, I'm crossing my fingers this next year. We're going to see more of that evidence people are hoping for. Well, that might be a good pivot to uh, a recent story you reported on, and that's an audit that looked into how the city and, and Multnomah County, the Joint Office of Homelessness, handled a specific project. Could you tell us about the the story of the Sandy Studios and um, what, if anything, it says about the broader picture here? This was a uh, publicly funded apartment complex um, for veterans and the, the county contracted with a nonprofit called Do Good Multnomah and they kind of ran the day to day but the folks who were living in this complex uh, so it was had 32 units so at least 32 people were living here um, you know really had issues with the quality of life and found that the building's condition 
wasn't up to par and things weren't getting fixed that needed to be. So uh, the Do Good Multnomah, the nonprofit, said they no longer wanted to be in charge of this because it just wasn't uh, doing well. So uh, they started working to relocate people to a, a diff- you know, other apartments where they could find spaces for people and um, try to address the building. And yeah, it's unfortunate that these folks, their lives are disrupted. But as you said, it kind of hints at maybe some larger things. I've been in some publicly funded apartments that are just so nice, brand new, beautiful, one bedrooms with a brand new washer and dryer. I've been to other apartments that haven't been as nice. They have been in older buildings with plumbing issues. Folks are living in 200 square foot units that just have space for, you know, a bed and a microwave essentially. And a whole floor is sharing to bathrooms. And oftentimes when I visit, at least one of the bathrooms is out of commission. And sometimes it's the ADA accessible bathroom and there's many people who are disabled living in these buildings so that creates a real problem and so it's you know it's an argument of well is this better than living on the street and uh, yeah a lot of times it is but some people I've talked to in those buildings say they might just want to move back to the street because they're not happy with where they're living. We talked a little bit about mass shelters. There are in theory, enough beds at these shelters that gives the city the legal authority under the the court ruling that we mentioned earlier that, you know, they're legally able to move people from from uh, public right away without having any legal consequences? Or is it unclear if there are even enough beds for people if they are displaced? Yeah, that court ruling is tricky. It's, you know, open to interpretation. We do not have enough shelter beds for the number of people who are homeless in our county. However, we do know that there are often open beds here and there and that some of our mass shelters are not at capacity. And that's because people don't feel safe going there. But people who do want to go to those shelter beds and they do call like our 211 number, which is the phone number you call and you're mm-hmm. get help accessing resources, people have a very, very hard time finding a shelter bed when they want one. And it's really left open to interpretation, this law of, you know, the bed that you're offering someone, like, what's the standard? Um, Do they have to feel safe going to it? Or is just offering a bed that they don't feel safe? Does that um, fulfill the legal obligation. And I don't think we'll have a lot of answers to that until someone challenges the ruling in court for the first time. And I feel like that will happen in the next couple of years in one of the Western states. You mentioned earlier in our conversation, Nicole, that you, in many ways, it feels like we're going backwards in some of our policies. And I'm curious what you hear from some of the social service providers and people who are experiencing homelessness. Does it feel like, here we go again? Yeah, I was actually, I did a panel discussion earlier this week with the district attorney, uh, Mike Schmidt, and uh, some of our local 
social service leaders, um, like the policy director at Central City Concern, which is our biggest housing organization. And they all said that sweeps are not a solution. They don't improve homelessness. It's only a solution for house people that don't want to see people who are homeless on their street. And so it, we're spending a lot of money visually making the problem better for a couple of weeks. And instead of spending that money to uh, offer people more concrete services. And everyone seems to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yes. It's a election season and folks, business folks, the community, they're real upset with things. And I think quick solutions to make people think things are better, you know, are aimed at the voters, but they're not the ones seeing these people every day and serving them food and seeing what's actually happening. So they might think things are better since they're not seeing folks on the street, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Yeah. And I know that the last time we, we spoke, we talked about um, some of the, the violent crime um, that we had seen in actually, I think I teed you, I teed up your, the question to you posing the national lens, it, not even realizing that we had had multiple people, I believe that week, um, that we hadn't confirmed publicly that, that who were uh, killed, who were experiencing homelessness in Portland. How have the last few months been since we talked? Are, are people feeling any more secure or is it kind of the same um, situation where it's a really scary time to be living on the street? Yeah, no, people don't feel safe. I believe the last time I checked, there were seven homeless individuals who have been murdered this year. And it's uh, hard to know how to protect people when we can't just put them into homes because, you know, you can lock a door if you're in a house, but how can police protect folks who are the most vulnerable? That's tough. Um, at the same time, there is a safe rest village in Old Town that said they plan to shut down because their workers don't feel safe. So we're losing those beds soon. And um, from the Old Town, mass Old Town sweeps that we have seen in the past month, uh, there have been reports that crime reports have drastically decreased in Old Town. But we also know that Folks who are homeless are not typically the ones committing the crime. They're often the victims of it. So I think I don't know what the best policy solution is other than um, knowing that the community is safer when we are able to get people housed. The West Coast cities are always lumped in as as kind of having, quote unquote, the worst problem um, with homelessness or, you know, the most visible homelessness. Are there any policies that are working well in other American cities that, that you're tracking? I know Houston was in the news this week. Tell us why that doesn't make sense or what they're doing that is not applicable to Portland and, and Oregon. Yeah, I haven't read that story yet, but I know what you're talking about. So I don't have like great authority to fully comment on it. But the gist of it is that they provide housing to people, which seems super simple. <laughs> Give people housing, then they're not homeless. So I don't fully know what came with that housing or what the program looks like in Houston, but I do know other states have done that where they have 
uh, create enough housing units for every single person who's homeless, put folks in the units. Um, and then soon, a year, a couple of years later, uh, they found that they had a homeless population again. And that's because, um, new people become homeless every day. You also have to find ways to stop them from becoming homeless, ways to catch them. And also, if there aren't supportive services, um, sometimes people who are housed fall back into homelessness if, yeah. you know, the root cause isn't addressed. And a lot of that is uh, mental health um, and you know, making sure those resources are there. And it is hard to compare, but I do know that Portland does have uh, some pretty interesting programs compared to other cities like the tiny homes and the Portland Street Response. Um, and we have things that do work. We just need more of it. And before I let you go, is anything from your conversations or people you were chatting with, um, you mentioned we're talking on a Thursday morning that you were down at the Blanchet house, but anything that will stick with you just from your work this morning that you want to leave with listeners? That's a, that's a tough one. I'm on the spot now. (laughs) (laughs) I think not necessarily uh, anything that someone said, but just seeing how calm people were when you give them a a safe place to go was just mind-blowing these folks that i've seen in dire stress and in psychosis when they're in a warm safe place uh they're completely different people describe what what you mean by that you know their faces look calm they're not tense and stressed out uh they can relax and um just enjoy a meal. They're not like on the defense. They don't feel like they have to protect themselves and always be fighting. You know, women on the street always have to like present themselves as aggressive because if they don't, they get taken advantage of so easily. But here they know they're safe. They don't have to do that. Someone else is doing that for them. Um, so they can just relax. You are seemingly never relaxing. You are chronicling these stories um, that are so vitally important to our region so well, and uh, even with construction out your window as well. But um, I appreciate you and all your work and the compassion and um, the thoroughness that you bring to it. So thanks for talking again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared links to some of Nicole's recent stories in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. If you're interested in sponsoring BeatCheck or any of our other podcasts, reach out to our marketing department at advertise at oregonian.com. We appreciate it. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.